0: Thank you for listening to Christ Church Showmans. This is Jared Sparks, one of the pastors at Christ Church Carbondale. We want to thank you so much for listening, as Ransom said, my son. And we ultimately hope that these are God-honoring, and because they are God-honoring, we hope that they are also edifying and encouraging and challenging to you in the best sort of way. Thanks so much for listening. <clears throat> All right, so I'm going to actually start at verse 10, um, kind of pick up where Andy left off last week. And... Uh, just recap a little bit of, of last week, and then we'll, we'll finish chapter 3. So starting at verse 10, Paul writes, "...that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do... Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I... Often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Uh, So just... um, I want to point out just a couple pitfalls before we get into this, so we're not going through this entire sermon thinking the, the wrong way and then trying to piece everything back together at the end when we might, when the pieces might fall into place. And so, one, it'd be really easy. I was joking with Jared this week. I was like, "What a is there, is there a better text for the end of 2020 um, than to forget what lies behind and uh, and strain forward what lies ahead?" I just thought that was funny, but that's not the point of the text. And so, it'd be really easy to read this passage and and just kind of take it as like a purely motivational uh, little pep talk for you to just keep going on. Keep pressing on and, uh, you know, just keep working hard. And it would be really easy, which which Paul does say, that he does say press on, strain forward, um, you know, keep working hard. But um, it'd be really easy to take a phrase like that and, and think about your own effort in that. And it's just all you just trying to drag yourself along. And we don't want to do that. Um, it would also be really easy to... As I said, apply this to let's say 2020, and say so I just want to leave 2020 behind, and I just want to forget about it, and I want to just push forward. Um, and uh, which I don't think that's completely wrong, but we also don't want to forget, um, you know, the individualize the individualization of it, and think about our own lives, and uh, what what do we need to repent of? What how are you personally going to press on? What do you personally need to press on from, and um, and things like that. And so. Um, Gosh dang it, Ryan. Ryan told me at the beginning, before the service, to not say um a bunch. And now it's in my head. He's like, don't say um a lot. And I, I, it's the word I say the most. And so, uh, I know, I just, I, I just heard it now. And so, um, sorry about that. But we're just going to continue. And so, also going to put this on the front end. Is that uh, Andy, as Andy talked about last week, and as, as, Paul, as Paul said, um, As Paul hammered home in the beginning of chapter 3, that that we are saved completely by grace. And it's all Jesus' righteousness, none of ours. And so as we read things like this that do have our little bit of responsibility in them, like, hey, you are supposed to press on, you are supposed to strain forward, um, things like that. uh, We want to remember, though, that we're not talking about our justification here. Um, Andy talked about justification last week, and, and this is more talking about our sanctification and our, and our future glorification. And so we do have a part to play in that of effort. You, you, we, we need to give effort um, in our lives towards the Christian faith. And so um, Paul's ultimate goal in verse 10 and 11, I'm just going to recap a little bit, was to know Jesus by the power of his resurrection, that he would share Jesus' sufferings. And by any means possible, he would attain the resurrection of the dead. And so that's what kind of we're going to be jumping out of for today's passage. Um, why is Paul pressing on? Why is he straining forward? It's because he wants to attain the resurrection of the dead, which would be his future glorification, which would be getting to spend eternity with Jesus. And that's what we're working towards. As we're straining, as we're pressing on, that's what we have in our, in our minds and our eyes fixed on. And so and just to put this on the front end... Um, if you're worried, it's like, am, am I going to be able to press on? Am I going to be able, when the road gets tough, maybe this year this year has been really tough for a lot of people. I don't want to minimize that. Um, and so we, um, as we are, <coughs> sorry, I lost my train of thought. Uh, better at the beginning than in the middle. And so as we are, I'm losing it. Um, as we are thinking about those things, there we go. I got it back. And so as you, you might be thinking, you know, in, my, in the beginning or at some point in my life, am I going to be able to press on? Am I going to come to a point where I will not be able to press on? There it was, where you will not be able to strain forward. Um, I just want to put this on the front end to give you some peace and rest. Uh, Jude says at the end of Jude, says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. And so Paul is going to be talking about pressing on to his future glorification. He's going; He wants to finish the course, finish his race, get to the finish line uh, to be with Jesus. And Jude tells us that Jesus will make sure that that happens. He will keep us to that point. And so we don't have to worry about, am I going to make it? If you are Jesus's, he will get you to the finish line. And so now, on to verse 12. We're going to start today's, <coughs> today's text. Verses 12 and 13 read, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And so Paul tells us two things here. He says, one, I haven't been resurrected because he was maybe a little bit afraid of people being confused by verses 1 through 11 and thinking, hey, maybe uh, Paul's already made it. You know Paul's still alive, obviously. Uh, he's in jail, but maybe he's already made it. Maybe he's already perfect. Um, and Paul wants to to eradicate any of those thoughts. And he says, "No, guys, I haven't been resurrected yet," which would mean that Jesus hasn't come back yet. If, if the resurrection of the dead hasn't happened, then Jesus ha- then G- Jesus has not returned yet. And so he says, "I haven't been resurrected. I have not obtained this resurrection from the dead." And he says, "I'm not already. i I am not yet perfect." And so we aren't perfect either. And so, you know, I, we all go through days. Anybody have a day this week where they're just like, man, I'm not perfect yet? Anybody? Yeah, anybody? And uh, right. And so you're in the same exact place that Paul was in. You can agree with Paul. He says, hey, I, am, I have not obtained this or I'm not already perfect. And so what does Paul do? Does he just sit on his hands and he just pity and say, gosh, I'm never going to get there? No, he says, but I press on to make it my own. <clears throat> Uh, Paul was very familiar with not being perfect. Uh, I think a lot of times, uh, just in in the Christian and the evangelical world, we can kind of make Paul out to be like a demigod uh, of sorts um, and put him on this pedestal way up there, which Paul was a mature Christian. He was obedient, but he was also a sinner, just like you and I are. And so uh, in Romans chapter 7, we just went through Romans, Paul says, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And so Paul Paul knew he wasn't perfect, and Paul did everything in his power to make sure that we knew that he was not perfect either. And so, uh, and just as Paul said last, as, just as Andy spoke on last week, uh, if Paul cannot accomplish his own salvation given his... Uh, uh, qualifications, then we certainly cannot either. And so, um, as we <clears throat> press on, we're not perfect yet. We haven't obtained the resurrection from the dead yet. Um, we can, we just we, we continue to press on. Uh, what does that mean? It means we 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 seek to obey the Lord. We read the Word. We pray. We share the gospel. You disciple your kids, uh, young women. Be discipled by older women, older men, disciple younger men, uh, serve in the church, use your gifts, you press on, you just obey. Um, it's not this, this big mystery. Uh, Jesus has made it known to us what he wants us to do. And so why do we press on, though? What's our, what is our motivation when the times get tough and you go through trials, which you will? Uh, James says in, in James chapter 1, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so as we're we're going to go through difficult times. There's going to be trials, and those trials are God-ordained. And the purpose of those trials are so that we would get to that place of being perfect. It's not going to happen in this life, but they're all building up as part of our sanctification to be more Christ-like. And so as you... As you are going through a trial, instead of pitying yourself or instead of moping, I can do that sometimes, uh, or sit on your hands and just do nothing, or you may, maybe you start to isolate yourself from the church or, or from other believers because you're just going through a difficult time, Paul says, don't do that. He says, count it as a joy, because that means God is at work in your life, uh, and he's using this circumstance, whatever you're going through, no matter how difficult it is, to make you more like Jesus. That's part of the process. That Paul was talking about of being made perfect and holy. And so, as we are going through this, and Paul says, I'm going to press on to make this my own. I haven't obtained the resurrection of the dead yet, but I'm going to press on to get a hold of it. Why? Why do we press on? What's our motivation? Paul says, he says, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. It's just as we love because Jesus first loved us, we press on to make this our own, to grab a hold of of, uh, the resurrection, we press on to that goal because Jesus has made us his own. And so we make it our own because Jesus has made us his own. This would be much different if it was the other way around. And say, I'm I'm, going to press on, and because I'm pressing on, then Jesus is going to make me his own. But it's the opposite. Jesus has made us his own first. It's done. Um, On the cross, he purchased us. You've, you, re, you repented, he adopted you, you're part of his family now, and he's made you his own. And so we press on because of that. Uh, Colossians 1, 21 and 22 says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. He says a similar thing. In uh, Ephesians chapter 2, he says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. I skipped the first three verses of Ephesians um, 2. But even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. And so Jesus has met our needs. We were alienated from God. We were hostile in mind. We were hostile in our thoughts towards God. The things that we did, God saw as evil. And Jesus has reconciled us. He's made us his own. And in doing that, he is going to present us. Before himself, holy and blameless and above reproach. Um, that is this, this. what this looks like to where we will eventually be made perfect. We will eventually um, attain the resurrection of the dead. This will be the effect of that. We'll be holy and blameless and above reproach. All because of what Jesus has done for us. And so, <clears throat> as we press on and things get tough, what do you do? You look to Jesus. You look to him. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 Uh, Verse 2 says, We we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. And so when when we do go through trials and pressing on, straining forward, I just think of, it's just going to be difficult circumstances. You don't press on through an easy time. You know, nobody's pressing on through vacation. Uh, And... Uh, I'm not pressing on through Christmas break right now and, or straining forward. If anything, I'm trying to hold it back a little bit um, just to get the extra time with family and stuff. And so, and so when, when I think about pressing on and straining forward, I think about the not-so-easiest times. It might not be terrible times. Uh, you know, a newborn. With a newborn, with, 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 with Jack that first year, I was, like, I was pressing on through that. I was like, this kid is never going to sleep. He's uh, I, we're just going to strain forward and hope that one day when he's like five, maybe he will learn how to sleep. And so uh, but when you do go through a time where you feel like it's difficult, what we do is we look to Jesus because Jesus pressed on. He, he pressed on for us uh, when in the in the in the garden, uh, he asked God, he said, he said, God, not my will, but yours. He didn't you know, he knew what he knew what he was about to endure um, and at the end of the day, he submitted to the Father and he pressed on, um, which ultimately then uh, gave us salvation and made it available to us. <clears throat> and so Paul, in verse 13, he kind of doubles down on this and just says it in a different way. He, th- he says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. It's almost like we have to hear things twice. He says, first, I haven't obtained this and I'm not already perfect. That's, it's, it's pretty clear. There's not a whole lot of... Uh, exegetical process that needs to happen there to to understand what Paul is trying to say, but he he doubles down anyway. I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing that he does, he says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Paul is making sure that we know there is still work to be done. He says, I haven't made it there yet. And so there's still work to be done, he says, so I'm going to forget what lies behind because I haven't made it my own yet. I'm not already there. So I'm going to forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. And so does this mean that we just completely forget about our past and forget, you know, forget yesterday and every day before that and we just look at today and tomorrow? Um, not exactly. As, as, as Hank just read it from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul reminded us that he was uh, the, a persecutor of the church that he was, viewed himself as the chief of all sinners. So obviously Paul did not forget about his sin. Uh, I think J- John Piper says, uh, he, sa- he says it this way, he says, only look back to what's going to help you move forward. Um, and so as you look back and you see your sin, also make sure that you see the mercy of God, the grace of God, the love of God that was evident there and is still evident in this moment as well. Um, And then as you look back to your past successes, I think this could be a big pitfall of when you look back, you tend to look at, oh, hey, look, I did a really good job there and there and there. And that can cause you to then just kind of coast, start to coast and no longer press on, no longer strain forward, work hard. And uh, I think this can kind of be a pitfall of maybe when you get into your older years. Um, not so much here, but it's just, uh, you know, retirement is such a, hey, once you hit 65 or 70, you're going to retire. And then uh, you're just going to coast out the last 20 or 30 years of your life. And that's not what Jesus wants us to do. And Paul wanted to make sure that that, that didn't happen. Uh, and I'm thankful for the, the, the older crowd that we have here that is just really good at investing um, and being present and, and things like that. But there is no retirement in the Christian faith. Titus chapter 2, we're all very well acquainted with this text. It says, Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. And so it's it's foolish to think that we're going to have Micah grow up to be a, a strong, godly man... If no older man invests in Micah, whether it's Dan, primarily Dan, but any of the other men here, if we just left Micah off to his own, uh, there's no way that Micah's is going to, no, I'm not going to say no way, but chances are Micah's is not going to grow up to be a strong, godly man that we would desire him to be, or, or myself. Um, and uh, the same could be said for young ladies. And so as we, um, as we're, I don't even know why I went there. That's right. Never mind. I, I found it. And so, sorry. Um, we are to pursue maturity. Uh, we play an integral part in older members, play an integral part in the younger members becoming mature. And the cycle has just been going on and on for the last 2,000 years of where older believers or more mature believers will disciple less mature believers up into maturity. And then the process just keeps on going. Um there's a, there's a text from the Old Testament that I think might be a, just a good, a, a good example for us. I'm just going to read through this real quick. So just sit and listen uh, as we think about not coasting to the end. Because Paul's thinking about he's straining forward, he's forgetting what lies behind, and he's straining forward. And we don't want to coast. We want to continue to, to push on. And we get um, an account of Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapter 20 of him coasting the end. And we see some of the effects of that. So if you you want to flip to 2 Kings chapter 20, you can. Hezekiah was a godly ruler. He had experienced victory over Assyria because of the Lord. He described himself as walking faithfully with a whole heart before God. That's important. There's a self-proclamation about himself. Hezekiah gets sick, and he's going to die. He pleads with God. He says, God, I do not want to die. And God heals him, and he says, Hezekiah, I'm going to give you 15 more years on earth. It was at that time that Babylon had sent an envoy with letters and a present for the king, had heard that Hezekiah was sick. And so Hezekiah shows the envoy all of his wealth. And he says, They have all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses they haven't seen. Then Isaiah prophesies this to him in verses 16, and verses 16 through 19 it says, Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house. And that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away and shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that that, that, that you have spoken is good. For he thought, this is important, why not if there will be peace and security in my days? That was Hezekiah's thought. He had no regard for the future of Judah as long as there would be peace in his day. Hezekiah dies 15 years later, and Manasseh takes his place. And his son was 12 years old and went when his reign began. And he reigned for 55 years, died at 67. Here is how Manasseh's reign is described. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the despicable practices of the nations from the Lord whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel, for he rebuilt the high places that Hezekiah his father had destroyed, and he erected altars to Baal, and made Asherah and, and Ahab king of Israel had done, as, as as Ahab king of Israel had done. He worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served him. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem will I put my name. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he burned his son as an offering, and used fortune telling and omens, and dealt with mediums and with necromancers. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. In the carved image of Asherah that he had made, he set in the house of which the Lord said to David and to Solomon his son In this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. So now, as we think about this, Manasseh was twelve years old when he took over as king. <clears throat> And he was, he, he was 12 when his father had died, and he took over. That means that uh, he was about three years, he was, uh, he was born three years into Hezekiah's 15 year of extra life. And so three years had went on. <clears throat> so why did Manasseh rebel if Hezekiah had walked faithfully with a whole heart? Because basically all that Manasseh saw from his father was a spiritually apathetic father, that had the attitude of, why not, if there will be peace and security in my days? And so Manasseh dies, and his son Amon takes over, and he was 22. um, And he only only reigned for two years, and then his servants killed him because he was such an awful king. Uh, And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. It it reads, just as his father had done, he walked in all the ways in which his father walked and served the idols that his father served and worshipped them. He abandoned the Lord, the God of his fathers, and did not walk... In the way of the Lord. And so, because Hezekiah coasted out the last 15 years of his life, the next 57 years of Judah's reign was evil in the sight of the Lord. His sons did not walk with God, they rebelled against God. All because Hezekiah might have done really well for everything leading up to those last 15 years. And then he said, Well, things are going to get bad, but at least my last 15 years will be peaceful and I can just coast on to the end. And that's all that Manessa saw from his dad, was just a dad that coasted to the end. And we don't want to be believers like that. We want to strain, strain forward. We want to press on. I'm going to get back to Philippians now. We, we, we want to press on. Luke, uh, Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. We don't want to coast the end of our lives. We don't want to coast the middle or the beginning of them. Uh, we want to co- just continue to mature. If you have a... A desire. Does anybody in here have a desire to be a mature believer? Yet, yeah, like that is a godly desire. You need to fan that flame. That's not you being a legalistic Christian. That's not you being a self-righteous Christian. That's just a godly desire that you should want to be mature. <clears throat> uh, the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 6, he says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. You should want to mature as a Christian, and you should be doing the things that it takes to do that. Jesus has told us what we need to do to mature. Um, Abide in Him. Pray. Read the Bible. As we do these disciplines, it just so happens that the Spirit brings us to maturity uh, in the company of other believers. All right, so now on to verse 14. Paul's he's forgetting what lies behind, and he's straining forward to what lies ahead. And he tells us what he's pressing on for. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the same thing that he said in verse 11. That by any means possible he may attain the resurrection of the dead. That's the prize that we are running after. That we're moving towards. That Jesus is going to keep us until we get there. Um, uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. And so we, we, we live our lives intentionally. We don't just... ...live aimlessly and, and, and hope that we're following Jesus in the process. But we intentionally follow Jesus through our life. And that is in the act of, of pressing on towards this prize of glorification. Uh, and we, we press on knowing that the prize is guaranteed. Uh, Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 30, and he says, "...and those whom he predestined he also called, and those whom he called he also justified, and those whom he justified..." He also glorified. And so if, you, if, if you're justified this morning, if you've been saved by Jesus, then he will glorify you. It's guaranteed. There's not a thing you can do to change it. Not that you would want to. Uh, but there's not a thing that anybody else can do to change it as well. Paul follows that thought after that verse. And so we, <clears throat> we need to be confident that as we press on, as we strain forward... We're confident that Jesus is going to glorify us one day. He's going to carry us to the end. But we have a responsibility here and now. Uh, just as uh, Paul wrote in Second uh, in Philippians chapter 2, that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, also knowing that it's God who works in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There's a little bit of... Uh, Healthy tension there, where where we have responsibility, but but God is ultimately the one that's doing the work in us. It's the same thing here. That as we are pressing on, as we are straining forward, yes, we have responsibility in that, but God is ultimately the one that is that is doing that by the power of His Spirit. All right, on to verse fifteen and sixteen. He said, "Let those of us who are mature think this way," and so. What Paul just talked about in verses 12-14, through 14, that's what he means by this way. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. And so what Paul is saying, he's saying that this view of pressing on, straining forward, of salvation in verses 1-11, through 11, this is a view of maturity. This is, this is how a, a mature Christian should think about these things. <clears throat> and then he's, he ends that with... The back half of, of 15, he says, God will reveal that also to you. If, if you think differently, if you have different thoughts about that, I trust that God's going to reveal the truth to you uh, as you grow in maturity. Uh, there's a lot of, 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 of things that, you know, as you were a, a younger, less mature Christian, and if you think back to that time, to where you are now, there, you've probably had some views that have changed. And you've, you've just grown in your understanding of the word, understanding of God and Jesus and salvation. And uh, and so what we need to do, I think what Paul is here is trying to um, kind of foster here is is there are going to be different views in the church. Do not let them disunify you or I don't know if that's a word. Be in unity. Um, uh, be humble with one another. Give grace to one another because there's going to be different. We have different views here. Uh, If you were to talk to everybody in the church, we're not all, you know, ABC in terms on every single on every single. I would say most of us are pretty similar. But um, but for those who are lacking in maturity and they need just uh, some discipleship and some further knowledge and understanding, we want to be humble with them and show them grace and, uh, you know, don't just beat them over the head until they believe what you believe. Um, unless it's necessary. I don't know. Um, you know, Jared might need to do that with me sometime. We'll see. We'll see after today. Um, <clears throat> but um, for those who are mature, how have they gotten to that point? Um, or if you are mature, you know, you might be wondering that. And so First Corinthians, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, Yet among the mature... We do impart wisdom. So there's, there's imparting wisdom going on among the mature. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. So it's not, it's not some earthly wisdom that, that some guru has given and, you know, this further enlightenment. It's nothing like that. It says, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had... They would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So this wisdom that we have, where as you get mature or as you become mature and you, do, you gain more and more wisdom, um, that wisdom that you have been given, it's not from life experience or, or you know, from some self-help or Oprah or something like that, but God himself, by the power of his spirit, has imparted that wisdom to you. It's, it's, it's godly wisdom. It's, it's wisdom that the world does not understand. It's when we make decisions that, the, based on that wisdom, and the world just calls it foolishness, um, whatever that decision may be. And so, and then in verse sixteen, I think yeah, verse sixteen, he says, "Only let us hold true to what we have attained." Again, just kind of fostering this idea, this idea of hey, be unified as well. You know, don't don't let there be divisions and disruptions in the church that would break the church apart. Um, over o, over things like this that are just a, from due to a lack of maturity, um, <clears throat> but when he says let us hold true to what we have attained, what he's saying is just obey to the level of maturity uh, that you're currently at. If you know something is sin, then don't do that. Um, and there there, you know, when you're been following Jesus for 50 years, you've, your sin has been revealed to you in a much greater way than somebody who has been following Jesus for Two weeks. And so things that they don't see as sin, you would see as sin. And so um, their level of obedience, yes, we want to call them higher and, and deeper. Um, but, uh, you know, th- we want to obey to what we have seen as true. And that that which God has revealed to us. And then ultimately knowing that, as there will be less mature believers in the body, that God, as just as Paul writes in Philippians 1, that he will... Um, <clears throat> he will complete the good work that he began in them, just as he will complete it in you uh, on the day of Jesus Christ. When Jesus returns for us, that work will be complete. Again, this idea that uh, we, will, uh, we will be perfect one day, we will attain the resurrection of the dead, uh, God will complete everything that he has set out to complete in us on the day of Jesus Christ. All right, then verse 17 um, about two more sections. We're going, to, we're going to do verse 17, 18, 19, and then 20 and 21. Verse 17 says, uh, No, that's not right. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul says a similar things in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. He says, I urge you then be imitators of me. The writer of Hebrews says a similar thing as well. He says, Remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. We are to be imitators of one another. So, can you confidently say, say, so you're let's say you're discipling somebody that's that's younger, less mature than you in the faith, can you confidently say to that believer, Hey, imitate me and know that they would be genuinely following Jesus? That's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, Hey, imitate me. And I know that as you imitate me, you will be following Jesus, like for real. Um, <clears throat> that is a, uh, this is, I, I think for somebody to say, hey, imitate me, this is going to be somebody that, 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 that's active in their faith. If, if, if you're lukewarm right now, and you just kind of come and sit in a pew and leave, or you know somebody like that, that, that's usually not somebody that wants a spotlight on them, and they're saying, hey, imitate me. Not that Paul is trying to be uh, self-righteous and he's saying, hey, look at me. You guys got to do as I'm doing because I'm getting it all right. Uh, but Paul knew, uh, he knew, well, what was obedience? And that's what, we're, that's what we're called to. We're called to obedience. And so uh, as as Paul, Paul said and the writer of Hebrews said, um, we want to look to those people and imitate their faith. We want to look to mature believers and say, hey, how can I do what you are doing? How can I live, you know? the way that you're living and have the character. Because ultimately, Paul was imitating Jesus. And so we're not just imitating Paul to be like a Paul, but we're imitating Paul to be like a Jesus or to be like Jesus, not a Jesus. Um, <clears throat> and so just your question to think about as you go home today, say, hey, you know, can I say to somebody or, or am I saying to somebody, hey, imitate me? That's what, that's what discipleship is. It's just saying, hey, Im- imitate me. I know how to follow Jesus. You might have some areas of weakness. I can help you, so do as I do. Verses 18 and 19. For many, we kind of get into two distinctions here as as Paul wraps up chapter 3, or as this uh, wraps up this part of the letter. uh, We get to two distinctions. Enemies of the cross of Christ and believers. Uh, There's only two at the end of the day. We know, we, we know you, you hear all the time, there's two types of people in the world, you know, potato, potato, or toothpaste rolled this way, or squeezed, or things like that. Um, Becky's a squeeze, I'm a roll, and it just, it frustrates me, but, uh, mainly because I end up having to, like, you, you have to roll it at the end anyway to get the rest out, so why squeeze it the whole time? Uh, anyway, that's off topic. There really is, <laughs> there really is two types of people in the world. There are believers and there's non-believers. At the end of time, there will be two types of people in the world. Those who have trusted Christ and those who have not. And we get some de- a description of both of those type of people here at the end of chapter 3. Verses 18 and 19, Paul says, For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Here's the description. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Um, we were on our way here, and we had gotten a wedding invitation from a friend. And just had the wedding had to get rescheduled, and it just had to, uh, new information on it for next year. And, and Becky was like, you know, all of this information could have been just sent out via email or text message. And you know, who knows how much money was spent on, um, on these things. You know, and we, we all have things like that. Um, we did invitations, so obviously we could have just sent out that, inf- that information that way. Um, uh, but, but it got me thinking, like, if, if this world is all that you have, and you don't want it, to, it's, it's, you know, once you enter your life, and then, then it's, it's over, you know? And so you want to, for those type of people, they want to enjoy. They don't want to miss a moment of this life. They don't want to miss an experience or a, land, or, you know, a milestone or anything. They need to do all the things. That's why I think non-believers spend like 30 grand on weddings because it's this great glorious day. But it is one of few glorious days of what they think will be a 90 year existence at most. And so um, but, you know, obviously, like we did invitations. They're not bad, but it's just kind of the concept behind it of there's more to this life. Than this life. There's more to our existence than, than this life. But for those who are enemies of the cross of Christ, this life is all that they see, it's all that they have. <clears throat> and their end is destruction. In um, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul writes, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. So there are enemies of Christ on the outside of the church and there are some on the inside. Paul's talking about the ones on the inside. Um, There's both. And no wonder, for even Satan disguised himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Their end is destruction. And this is why Paul was brought to tears. Because their end is not just destruction and cease to exist... uh, their end is eternal torment, paying for their own sins for all eternity. Ten billion years from now, they won't be any closer to the end than they are on the first day. And just like for those on the for those of us on the other side, ten billion years into heaven and the new heaven and the new earth, we won't be any closer to the end than we were on the first day. Um, the same is qualif- or the it's, it's same for the both sides, and so. That's what brought Paul to tears, because they're walking as enemies of the cross of Christ. And just as we saw earlier, they cannot save themselves in Colossians chapter 1. They need Jesus to save them. Jesus needs to reconcile them to the Father. We have a role to play in that. Um, Their God is their belly. It doesn't just mean that they, they like food. Um, and you know, all their life revolves around food. Even though that's kind of how America is, um, but their god is their belly, saying that that their god is themselves, whatever they desire, whatever they want to have themselves, or they are their own god. They're going to serve themselves. Uh, Romans chapter sixteen, uh, verse seventeen and eighteen says, I, "I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out." For those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught, avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Last, or not last, but next, they glory in their shame. Uh, That which we see as shameful, they glory in it. We see that all over today, uh, but it hasn't just been an, an issue of today. Nothing is new under the sun. Um, but things like abortion, you see women glorying in abortion, and we know that is shameful. You see, um, the, just the sexual perversion of the day, um, and that's that's it's it's glorified. It's put on a pedestal. It's said, hey, you need to, you need to live like this. Um, we know that that is shameful, and God will bring that. Um, God will he will bring that shame there or upon them. Last, what's kind of the last descriptive of this? It says, their minds are set on earthly things. Colossians chapter 3, what's our response to earthly things? Where are our mindsets supposed to be? It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. We want to put to death the earthly things in us because it's on account of those things that the wrath of God is is coming to justly judge. <clears throat> it's the whole reason Jesus had to come and die for us, because we set our minds on earthly things. We set our minds on ourselves. We were once enemies of the cross of Christ. We have not always been citizens of heaven, as we're going to see here, to end, to end things. Um, we were once, verses 18 and 19. I think that's, that's, that, that's also why Paul was brought to tears. He was once an enemy of the cross of Christ. He once persecuted and killed those who were citizens of heaven. But God saved him. And I think to be brought to tears is a natural response to um, understanding just the, the, the sheer horror that people are going to face. Um, even though it is uh, just on God's part. Let me end things up here. That's the uh, walking on, or as enemies of cross of Christ. What is what's our description now? Now that God has saved us, <clears throat> verses 20 and 21 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And so just as their end was destruction, our end is citizenship in heaven with Jesus. Just as they, uh, their, God, their, their belly, their desires themselves were their, were their God, we worship the one true God. Just as they gloried in shame, we glory in God and what he has done, what he is doing. Um, and their mindset, just as their mindset is on earthly things, things that bring about the wrath of God, our mindset is to be on heavenly things, our heavenly home. Uh, the things, things that are holy. Uh, Paul writes at the beginning of chapter 3 of Colossians, he says, If then you have been raised with Christ, meaning if you've been saved by Jesus, seek the things that are above. No longer seek the earthly things that you once did, but seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above not on things that are on earth. Has anybody here, like, you guys are controlled by your mind, like, does your mental thoughts, I guess you only have thoughts in your mind, does your thoughts, I don't know, maybe you have heart thoughts. Um, <laughs> does anybody's thoughts kind of, like, control them as they, as they go through the week? Does anybody have trouble with that? You know, I, I think it's just a natural human thing. Uh, you know, we're, con- we're controlled. Where our minds go is where um, typically was where our actions go. Um ultimately they start with the heart. Um but <clears throat> but when we were saved, we weren't just given a new heart. We also we have new minds. We want to set our minds. It takes practice, it takes sanctification. Um and you know it's not an overnight thing. But we need to control our, our, our minds, put uh take every thought captive. Um We don't want to have just aimless thoughts out there that normally leads to sin and and just bad things. And so as believers, since we've been raised with Christ, since that has already happened, we now set our minds on things that are Christ-like, things that that Jesus desires for us to set our minds on. All right, almost done. Um, One last passage. We're going to read one last passage here just to just to close up, as we've been um, kind of back to verse twelve and, and thirteen and fourteen, as we're straining forward and looking forward to this resurrection from the dead, like you're we're really going to be raised, whether it happens in this during your lifetime or after you die. Jesus is going to come back. He's going to raise those who died, and then those who are still on earth. He's going to raise them and meet them, um, meet them in the air. And this is a this is a reality. Um, And uh, I'm going to read one final nine verses from 1 Corinthians. Uh, We'll pray and we'll have Hank come back up and, and the band will lead. Paul writes, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet... For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on Im- immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law." But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. We press on, we strain forward, we abound in the work of the Lord, and we stand firm, knowing that our work is not in vain. Um, Jesus will accomplish in us and through us what he wants to accomplish, uh, just as we saw there in chapter 2 a few weeks ago, and uh, we will be changed. We will attain and obtain, we will get a hold of the resurrection of the dead. Uh, Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your promises are sure. Um, We don't have to worry if you're going to change your mind. Well, we can be confident. Uh, We can live this life with confidence, with a sure hope, God, that you are going to uh, not only keep us day to day, but you're going to keep us for the rest of our life. We are yours forever. And just as you have justified us, you will also glorify us. God, you're faithful. Um, We believe this. And we pray that you would help us in the coming days Uh, just as you're working in us and you're willing in us. God, we pray that you would help us press on and strain forward. Help us be encouragers to one another. Uh, We don't want anybody to be left behind here, God. We want to continue to encourage just as we do every week. Um, And God, just help us continue to move forward. In Jesus' name, amen.